We're going to be looking at our final quality of maturity. Again, these are not the only qualities of maturity. These are just seven that if you will work on them and get them going in your life, you will see that you will grow at a much faster rate than you have grown before. We started off with steadfast, went on to patient, calm, peace, joyfulness. The last number of weeks we've been on gratefulness. And since we have the children in with us again today, how many of the children that are here or bigger kids that are here, how many grew up with Sesame Street? How many are familiar with Sesame Street? We have one grandchild who just adores Sesame Street characters, the only one. And so, just for you folks, today's sermon is brought to you by the letter E and the number 5. Today we are looking at our last quarterly, which is encouragement. Encouragement starts with E, and you will see what number five has to do as we go on. Now, who is an encourager? How many of you know people that you would classify in your life as an encourager? How many have people in your life that you would classify as not an encourager? Anybody got people like that in your life? Not an encourager. I want, to, I want to give you a little bit of revelation on this that God gave me when I was beginning to, to look at this and to, and to prep for some of this. I want you to take a look at around the people on your left. I want you to look around the people on your right. Every single person, every single person you just saw is an encourager. When you go to work tomorrow, I want you to take a look to your left. I want you to take a look to your right. And I want you to know that every single person that you looked at is an encourager. When you are driving home today and you are sitting at a stoplight, I want you to look to your left and I want you to look to your right. And I want you to think to yourself, every person I see is an encourager. Now that is not a faith statement. That is an actual statement. Because every person in this life is encouraging something. Some people encourage good. Some people encourage bad. But no matter what you do, you are encouraging something. Sometimes we encourage behavior we don't want. But we encourage it. How many of you know people that are in your life, maybe at work, and... When you see them coming, you wish to go the other way. Why is that? Because they have encouraged you to do so. Because something happens when you interact with them that makes you think, it is better for me if I go someplace else. We have to learn what it is to be an encourager. Because we all are encouraging things, even things we don't want. And we wonder, why is this in my life? I don't want this in my life because you encouraged it. How would I, why would I encourage something that I don't want? I don't know, but you do it all the time. Let's go back over to Walmart. You ready? Why does that parent have the problem with the child in the candy aisle? Because they have encouraged it. 
because they have rewarded bad behavior. They don't want it. They don't like the bad behavior. They thought they were doing things to discourage it. Discipline, yelling at them, so forth. But in the end, that child knows if I throw a fit long enough, I'll get what I want. And they have been taught. They have been encouraged to do things in that way. Now, if you're looking at this and you're wondering, why is this seventh quality? I want to let you know about something. I almost moved this up. I had a list. And after I made that list, I ordered that list. And then after I ordered that list, I was going on through in the order that I felt like we were supposed to go through. And when I hit gratefulness, I said, you know what? This is the greatest of all of them. This is the one that should be last. And I was immediately reprimanded. Do not do that. This is the final one. This is the last one. Because, and this is a revelation I got on this, encouragement to be truly God-like encouragement must involve all six traits to be genuine. We're going to show you why that is. But if you cannot encourage and be steadfast, if you cannot encourage and be patient, if calmness, if peace, if joyfulness, if gratefulness is not involved in your edification, you will not get the benefits, you will not get the results that you desire. So, you are already an encourager. You cannot help but encourage thoughts and behaviors in other people. Good thoughts, bad thoughts, good behaviors, bad behaviors. You are encouraging them. And one of the things you have to come to a realization of is a lot of times when people are doing things I don't like, it is because I have encouraged them to do so. Why do people not tell you everything that you want to know? Because of the way you respond when they tell you. And they determine, it is better for me if I don't tell you. If you want your kids to be honest with you about what happened during the day, and then they are honest with you and you yell at them for what they did, what have you just encouraged them to do? To not be honest and not tell you everything that happened in the day. You encouraged it. That's why you get it. Now, here's some things, just some general things about encouraging. We'll throw some more out as we're going along here. But encouragers need to be honest about good and bad. You cannot be a genuine encourager and only speak of the good. Here's an example. You ready for this? Whoever is the cook in your house, I'm going to make the, the uh, sexist assumption that is the wife. All right, is that, that okay if I do that right now? I know there are some husbands out there, and they are the cook, and that's fine. I'm not speaking to you right now. I'm speaking to this situation. The wife makes a meal, and you think it is out of this world good, and you say, oh, that is so good. I think that's one of the best meals that you have ever made. And then later on in the week, she makes another meal, and it's just mediocre. I mean, you could eat it. You could not eat it. It makes you... It's, it's just, it's, it's okay. I mean, it's food. And so you eat it. Honey, that was a great meal. Great meal. And then she makes another meal, and it's absolutely horrid. I mean, it's terrible. Honey, I appreciate you making dinner. Thank you so much. It was really good. Now, 
if she finds out that you really hated it and you said it was good, what's that going to do when you say something is really good? Well, are you really being honest with me? Was it really good? Or are you just telling me that? See, now I have a reason to be suspicious of that. Now, we have that. My wife, she's the main cook at the, at the house. Uh, she, does, she does most of the cooking. And, and last week, she made this, uh, this red sauce that she put over some things. And I mean, wow, it was good. I don't know what she did to doctor it up, what she did to fix it. But boy, it was really, really good. I gobbled it up the next day. I had it for lunch. And when I told her, that's really, really, I really like that. You can make this again. She believes me. That was really, really good. She can make it again because she has made some things and um, I, I sometimes don't finish it. Now, what's really good is we're usually both on the same page. She says, yeah, I don't like it either. <laughs> but she waits for me to tell her. I didn't really, I didn't really care for that one that much. I didn't, I didn't like that one. And, um, you know, we were, she just made this other, this dish. I'd actually asked for it. She's, she said, what do you want to do for dinner? I want to make something fun. So I said, how about some, uh, hopefully I get the name right, how about some risotto? Oh, yeah, she said, that'd be fun. I'll make that one I made the other night. Yeah, that's, that's good. She made it the other night. And I don't know if she did it that way when she made it the other night or she just did it this time, but she put in those sun-dried tomatoes. How many like sun-dried tomatoes? Yeah, my hand is not up. So she made the sun-dried, she put the sun-dried tomatoes. She loves sun-dried tomatoes. Absolutely loves them. I don't. And I could see her out of the corner right. She's watching me, and she's seeing me pick them out. I picked out every sun-dried tomato that was there. Because I don't like sun-dried tomatoes. <laughs> she knows stuff I don't, she don't, she knows I don't like celery. I, I despise celery. I think celery is for rabbits only. No one else should have to eat celery. But other people feel like, you know, celery is a good thing. But you see, if I'm not honest about the things that I like and don't like, then when I say... I like this. I'm not sure if I should believe you. And see, then we're not encouraging things. We become suspicious. I'm not sure if what you said was really, was really honest for me. So if you want to be an encourager, you've got to say good and bad. That's sometimes hard for us to do. Because if somebody walks into church and they got something on that looks terrible together. Right? Have you ever been in church? Like, not here. People just wear great things here. But other places... <laughs> they, they can put some combinations together. You're thinking, what were you thinking when you woke up this morning? And they said, what do you think of my outfit? And, and oh, that looks good on you. You know, that's a real nice one to throw out there. <laughs> I wouldn't wear it. <laughs> no, you have to learn how to be honest with people. Now, don't be honest. To, you don't have to be honest to the point that you look for opportunities to hurt their feelings. But if somebody asks for an honest opinion from you and you don't give them an honest opinion, then when you try and encourage them, they're going to be a little suspicious of it. If you're going to be an encourager, you need to be honest. That's one of the traits you need to have. So, encouragers need to be honest about good and bad. If everything is always awesome, then nothing really is. Great encouragers are greatly selfless. Great encouragers are greatly selfless. I worded it this way for this reason. The more selfless you are, the greater the encourager you will be. Great encouragers are greatly 
selfish. Encouragement that has a selfish nature or is suspected to be will not have a beneficial effect. Look at it this way. How many times have you ever said this? They just said that so that I will do blank. They don't really mean it. They just want me to come into work early. So they said this. They don't, but they don't really mean it. How many times it worked? You, you know, I can always count on you. I so appreciate always being able to count on you. And inside you're thinking, you don't say stuff like this. Why are you saying this? You have an ulterior motive. And see, I'm not receiving the encouragement because I feel like there's a selfish reason for giving it. The greater you are in the area of being selfless, the greater the encourager you will be. If you encourage others for things that will benefit you in the long run, they will find out, they will be suspicious, they will not receive the encouragement that you try and give them. There's another one. Encouraging words will have the greatest effect on those drawn to hear them. Encouraging words will have the greatest effect on those drawn to hear them. Have you ever been walking in the office down the hallway and off you see somebody? Maybe you're in the office, maybe you're in the store, maybe you're in the factory, whatever it is that you work, wherever it is you're doing, you see somebody out there and you see them coming and you think to yourselves, oh, no. I hope they don't come over here. I am not in the mood to deal with their foolishness today. Because you know they're going to come up and they're going to have things to say and it might be good and it might be bad and whatever. But I don't want to deal with that. See, I've already set myself to the point that I do not want to receive anything that you have to say. So if you come over to me with the most selfless, encouraging words, I've already shut down. But how many of you have people in your life that you are drawn to, oh, I just can't wait to get around so-and-so because when I get around so-and-so, they're going to say something It's going to encourage me. See, I'm looking for it. I want them to, to, to say something. I want to hear them say something. I'm looking for that. The greatest encouragement you will receive are from people that you are drawn to. Now, encouragement will do a few things for you. First of all, encouragement will... Reignite when bewildered. You're bewildered. You're kind of floundering. You're kind of, I don't know where to go. I don't know how to go. I don't know if I should continue to go. Encouragement can help. It can reignite when bewildered. Second, it can redirect when beguiled. I've been deceived. I've been been uh, kind of thrown off. I've misread some things. I'm feeling lost. And in person can come up and encourage you and set you back on that, the right path and help you out with that. Encouragement can do that for you. Encouragement can reinvigorate when besieged. You feel like you're under attack. You feel like you're at the end and someone comes along and offers encouragement and you feel reinvigorated. But you feel reinvigorated because first off, that comes from a person who gives you honest encouragement. That comes from a person that you want to hear something from and not a person that you already shut down from. 
It comes from a person that you have determined is selfless and is not giving you encouragement for some benefit for themselves. So one of the things, one of the best ways to learn is to learn from someone else who encouraged in the Bible. I always look for the Bible. If I want an example of how something is done, I need to find it in the Bible. So I go into the Bible to find it. And so I wrote down some examples of people that were encouraged in the Bible. And the first number of examples that we have come as God being the the encourager. Can you get better than God being the encourager? So I wanted to learn from this, and this is where our number five comes in. Because we're going to find five things that Moses discusses that he needs encouragement on. Five things. Exodus chapter 3 and verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your, your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to a place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you might bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to, him, to, said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So God gives him this whole spiel of what he's going to do. He lays out the whole plan to him. And Moses speaks to God, Who am I? One of the things that you can see about encouragement, this is not the only form, but one of the forms, it can come in the form of a response. Encouragement can merely be a response to what other people have said. Sometimes you, it's targeted uh, encouragement. You get something from God, you see something that needs to be said, something needs to be done, and you target it. You go to that person, you find them. Thus saith the Lord, God showed me this. I feel like you need this, and we, we targeted them for it. But sometimes it's just a response. People can come up to you, and they can tell you, this is what I'm going through, this is what I feel, this is what's happening with me, and you may just, it may just be a response that is no less godly than targeted encouragement. Because all that God is doing here in this whole example is responding to Moses. He's encouraging him, but he's responding to Moses. Encouragement can be a response. Who am I, he says. And God says, I will be with you and I have sent you. Who am I? Well, you, who you are is the person that God is with. God is with you. Don't sell that short. I will be with you and I have sent you. 
I will be with you, and I have sent you. See, the power of who sends you is, is, uh, can be very strong. If someone comes knocking at your door and they say, I'm from the sheriff's office, that can get your attention. The sheriff has sent someone to you. Why has the sheriff sent some? Why is the sheriff even concerned that I am here? Someone comes knocking at your door and says, I am from the IRS. That gets our attention. Because the person that they're from tells me something of the order and the authority with which they have to do this. If we have someone who is knocking on our door and they say, I am from Publishers Clearinghouse. That can be a little bit different. But this is what God is doing. I will be with you, and I have sent you. So this is meant as to encourage him. Look, you're feeling discouraged because who am I? You've had past failures. You've tried to do this before in your own strength, and it didn't work. You tried to deliver Israel, and they rejected you as being a deliverer. So you feel like, who am I? Regardless of the fact that I felt like I was called to do this, who am I to do this? And so God says, this is who you are. I will be with you, and I have sent you. How many would feel encouraged by that? So he said, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Verse 13, Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? So if I go along with this plan of yours and uh, I say that you have sent me and I say, well, God has sent me. Who shall I say sent me? What is is his name? That's what they're going to say. What's his name? Who sent you? What is his name? Moreover, God said to Well, I need verse 14. I I dropped 14 out. Give me 14 if you don't mind on the screen. I'll read it from from there. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. Now, that's a holy name to the Hebrews. They don't even utter this. They most times spelled it without the vowels. I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So they get this very holy name that they treat very reverently. Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob appeared to me, saying, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, to a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, I don't know about you, but every time I picture this, I picture a land flowing with milk and honey, and I, don't, I get kind of grossed out. <laughs> I can't imagine a place where milk's just kind of flowing on down, because, you know, I'm always used to milk on bed. <laughs> but idea, this, is, this is the idea of the place, that there's, it's a very rich land. And this is the idea that he's continually telling them. He says, I want you to use my name forever. Here's my name. I want you to speak to them my name. And I want you to use this name 
forever. This name is always there for you to use. And tell them, this is the same God who is the God of Abraham. This is the same God who is the God of Isaac. This is the same God who is the God of Jacob. I appeared to them, and I have appeared to Moses. Verse 18, Then they will heed your voice, and you shall come, you and the elders of Israel, to the king of Egypt, and you shall say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us, and now, please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go, no, not even by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in, his, in its midst, and after that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and it shall be when you go that you shall go em- you shall not go empty-handed, but every woman shall ask of her neighbor, namely of all of her who dwells near her house, articles of silver, articles of gold, and clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. Very often, the reasons that we get discouraged, the reasons that we're having a hard time in life is because we have simply forgotten some things that God has said. In this discourse that God has with Moses, he gives him everything he needs to endure what is coming. But Moses forgot part of this discourse because after the king said, no, I will not let them go and I'm going to make things worse, he got discouraged because he forgot. So a lot of times we get discouraged in life because we forget some things that he wrote to us in the Word. We forget some things that he spoke to us in our spirit. Sometimes encouragement is just remembering what he said. Then Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, The Lord has not appeared to you. In other words, what if? What if? People come up to me all the time. I'm sure they do to you. What if this would happen? What if this would happen? Well, what if this would happen? They're called hypothetical situations. If you've ever tried to talk to me about a hypothetical, situ- hypothetical situation, you know I don't like them. Because in a hypothetical situation, you are dealing with something that you have dreamed up and you have no leading of the Spirit. I don't think I'm all that smart and all that wise. In those situations, I depend on hearing the Spirit. What's the Spirit telling me to do? In a hypothetical situation, the Spirit has nothing to lead me in. Put me in the real situation. This is one of the reasons that Jesus says, don't ponder what it is that you will ask when you are brought before courts. When you are in that situation, I will tell you what to say. In other words, this way. Don't be going through all the what-ifs. What if they bring me up for this? What if they bring me charges on this? What will I do? What will I say if this happens? He says, don't do it. When you're in that situation, in your spirit, I will guide you. That's one of the reasons why I just don't mess with hypothetical situations, because I don't have that leading of the spirit in it. But you get into a real situation, and the spirit of God will help you. He'll encourage you. He'll tell you the things that you need to say. The more you walk in faith, the less you will ponder what-if situations. If you're walking by sight, you are going to constantly ponder sight situations. What if this changes? What if this gets worse? What if this happens over here? And we ponder all these what-if situations. But if you're walking by faith, you don't mess with the what-if situations. If God says, 
I want you to take care of this. I want you to do this. I want you to uh, practice this, store up this, put away this, whatever it might be. Then you do it. But the more that you walk in faith, the less you will ponder what if situations. Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, The Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said to him, What is in your hand? And he said, A rod. And he said, Cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it. And it became a rod in his hand. Now there's a lot of people... You probably have seen the YouTube videos. I remember watch those YouTube videos. Those guys that go out and get the snakes. I don't. I don't understand it. I, you know, I'm, I'm not a person that can identify a snake right off the bat. I can't look at a snake and say this is such and such a snake. It's harmless. But I still watch some of those YouTube videos and the, the the videos that are out there. And these people, they have a poisonous snake and they grab it from the non-business end. And I I can't understand that. Um, he's got a poisonous snake. He's got it by the tail and the thing is moving around over here. And he feels perfectly fine. I'm thinking, I, I would not be feeling perfectly fine right now. I was watching this one video. A guy was in a, in a boat. He was so excited because he saw a snake and he jumped from the boat, splashed into the water, hit the, the shore and grabbed his hand into the reeds, grabbed hold of the snake and pulled out a water moccasin. Now, I know enough about snakes to know that most water moccasins are poisonous. Venomous, I should say. They are, they are venomous. And I'm not doing that. And he was so excited because he got this snake. He's got it in his hand. He's just uh, uh, glad and happy. <laughs> I'm thinking, no. No, the snakes need to stay there. Just let the snake stay there. I'd rather not see the snake. But if I did, you know, I'd just try and, and move away. I know most snakes are not out there to to try and get you. There's a couple of them out there that uh, they, they like to bite people, but uh, most of them, they just do their own thing. But uh, I'd be with Moses. You see the thing, the rod turned into a snake. That's a big rod, turned into a, probably a big snake. And um, go grab it by the tail. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, I know what happens when you grab a snake by the tail. It's, it's, it's not good. There's a guy who, uh, one video, I don't know why I keep watching these things, but <laughs> he has a king cobra in a, in a trash can. He takes the lid off. The king cobra comes out. He starts talking about how powerful this king cobra is and how venomous this king cobra is. And just, you know, the cobra's kind of looking around the room, tries to bite at the camera guy a couple of times. Look at that. Look how aggressive he is. He's trying to bite the cameraman. <laughs> And they're out there to try and feed this thing. I'm thinking, he's about ready to get a bigger meal than you're thinking. But they were, they were fine with it. Not me. So I'm with Moses. If that happens, yeah, I'm, I'm going to decide. And more than likely, it's a snake that is, they're familiar with in the area, and they have some real nasty snakes out there. It may even have been a king cobra. So he reached out his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand, and they that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Furthermore, the Lord has said to him, Now put your hand in your bosom. He put his hand in his bosom, just kind of put it inside his, his robe that was right there, and he said, Now pull it out. So he pulled his hand out of his bosom again, and he drew it out of his bosom, and behold, it was restored like his other flesh. 
So that's the signs that he was going to show them. These are the things he was going to do to demonstrate that God had sent him. They were miraculous things, not as miraculous as what it was coming. But this was something that was going to, to help him. Now, we're rushing through this story. I'm not here to try and teach this story to you. We've, we've taught this in the times past. We're here to look at how did God encourage Moses? What can we learn from that as we're going to encourage other people? Because if the, the role of encouragement in your life is to get you to do the things you're not doing, that you should do, that you need to do, Moses was not doing this at the beginning, and Moses was doing it at the end. So these areas of encouragement worked. So I want to see what it is that he did. So verse 8, Then it will be, if they do not believe you nor heed the message of the first sign, that they may believe the message of the latter sign. It shall be, if they do not believe even these two signs, or listen to your voice, that you shall take water from the river and pour it on the dry land. And the water which you take from the river will become blood on the dry land. Then Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Now I wrote in there 4.8, but it's actually 4.10. You can make that change in your outline. I didn't notice that until it was already printed. I am not. Very often the role of encouragement is to take us in the midst of a task or before we take on the assignment that we've been given and we are encouraged, you can do this. You can get it done. Because naturally, we look at what we don't have. I look at what I lack in. And I tell myself, I lack this, therefore I won't be able to get this done. So he says, I'm not eloquent. There's something I don't have that this job requires. Now, what's interesting is Moses has never done this job. But you have also never done a job that God asked you to do. And yet you're going to tell him what you need to do in order to get it done. Isn't it neat? God creates the job. God creates you for the job. God tells you to go do the job. And you say, I can't do the job. I don't have what I need. Huh. So he says, I'm not eloquent. I can't do it. I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. There's people who doubt whether that was true because of the training that he received, but regardless, verse 11, So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes the mute, the deaf, the seen, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. Then we get to verse 13. But he said, Oh my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. In other words, I don't want to do it. Send somebody else. I don't want to do it. Send somebody else. But he said, Oh my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever. I don't care who you get. Just get somebody else beside me because I just don't want to go. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. What that tells us is, it hasn't been up until now. But now the Lord is mad. And he said, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well. And look, he is coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now you shall speak to him, put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you from what you 
teach you what you shall do. So he shall be your spokesman to the people, and he himself shall be as a mouth for you. You shall be to him as God, and you shall take this rod in your hand, with which you shall do the signs. Now, how long ago did Moses try and deliver the children of Israel on his own? From that time when he failed to the time that we have here, anybody know how many years has transpired? Forty. Forty years. Forty years has transpired until this day. And the Lord tells him this day, Aaron is on his way to you. After forty years, Aaron has made a trip. Where did Aaron come from? came from Egypt. That's where they were, right? Why was Aaron in Egypt for those 40 years and whatever other years before? Why was Aaron in Egypt? Did he like the scenery? He was a slave. So in order for Aaron to be on his way to Moses, what had to happen? Well, either the Egyptians said, Aaron, we like you. Think you're real special. We're just going to let you go. Let you, wherever you want to go, you just go. Or, Aaron escaped. Now, this had to happen days before. Aaron feels, you know what, I feel like I need to go. If you are Aaron's wife, and your husband says, I need to get out of this place. I am tired of being a slave. I need to get out of here. What do you say? If you're the wife, what do you say? Not without me. <laughs> right? Taking me and the kids. How come he comes without the wife and the kids? How does the wife let him go? What husband would leave his wife and kid in this situation? What's going to happen to the wife and kid if the, if the Egyptians find out that Aaron has escaped? There's a lot more complex things that are going on right there. So I'm guessing on this, we'll have to wait till we see the videotape in heaven. But more than likely, Aaron is feeling a nudging in his spirit. You need to go. You need to go meet up with Moses. And this is the direction you need to go. He doesn't even know where Moses is. He just knows he's not here. So he tells his wife, I'm going to go. I'll be back. I'm going to come back with Moses. The Lord told me to go out and find him. And we're going to meet up and come back here. So he goes out and he finds him meets up and comes back. That's an awful lot of stuff going on. And God says, we've already got that in play. That's already working. And, uh, and, and so you're the guy. So you tell me to go find somebody else? No. No, I've already worked this scenario out right here. You're going. And so he gets mad at them. Understand this. All encouragement is not nice. Not all encouragement is nice. Sometimes you got to get a little bit nasty. Now, we guys have this down. You girls, I don't know what you all do to encourage each other. I, I don't understand it at all. I watch girls go over there and they encourage each other. I think, what in the world are they doing? That wouldn't do a thing for me. And we go on. Because I, I don't know if you know this or not, men and women are different. And it's true. You know, when guys get around, I like it when the guys just get the guys around. You know, Lamar and I, we'd be playing hockey, we'd be playing basketball, and we just had the guys there. I liked it when the girls aren't there. Oh, all I need to have ruined today is for a girl to show up. 
And we had that for a little while playing hockey. We had this girl who every once in a while would come out and play hockey, and it's like, oh, man. Does she have to play? Because what would happen is we guys, we act certain ways to each other, and it comes, you know, the, the woman, they always, oh, you guys are just being masculine. Oh, you're just being this. You're just, no, no, we're just being guys. And sometimes you just want to get with the guys where the guys know we're just being guys. And um, we don't have anybody to, we're trying to impress. We don't have anybody to be concerned about what they're going to be thinking about. You know, we're over there. You know, Lamar and I, we can go into corners and we could smash each other into the walls and elbow each other. And of course, they hardly ever let us be on the same team. And so we'd be locking horns and, and going at it. And then once we come out of the corner and the puck was over, hey, that was good, man. That was right. <laughs> but, you know, in the corners, you know, we're, we're really, we're, you really go out. If you want to encourage a guy, sometimes you can't always just be real, real nice. You get a trainer. You get a trainer in there, uh, a male trainer with a guy. He'll go a certain way. If he did that with, the, with some, I'll not say all, but some gals, they'd cry. Because they're going to be a lot harsher with you. If you've uh, seen some of the movies, you know, the drill sergeants in the army and some of the ways that they speak to the men in there. And we think, oh, that's, that's not good at all. That's not encouraging at all. Uh, but sometimes you have to be this. Sometimes you've got to be more stern. Now, the way God wired us men, we kind of like that. We kind of like somebody to come in there and just, just chew us out. When I had a trainer, a long, long time ago I had a trainer, and he was, he was tough on me. I, I kept him because he was tough on me. If he was easy on me, he says, you know, well, you really pushed it kind of hard. What do you mean I pushed it kind of hard? That's not your role. Your role is tell me to do 10 more. That's your role. Your role is not to say, boy, you had a great day today. No, that's not your role. Now, we were, this, this was moving week this, this week, and, and I had a, a lot of things to do on that. And Tuesday, you know, we had a, a move set up. I was supposed to move these couple of bunk beds out of a house in Philly, down Center City. House in Philly, three stores up. I had to carry down the bunk beds, and uh, they had movers that were coming in that day, and so they blocked off the road, which was great, because I didn't have to worry about parking. They blocked off the road. We had the road blocked off. I parked in behind them. They're moving their stuff. I'm moving my stuff, but they got done their stuff way before I got done my stuff, which was kind of the intention. So, but the road was already blocked off for me, so I just stayed there. They went off, and they went off to the other house, so I'm there by myself. And I'm pulling all these things down and uh, getting them loaded onto the truck. And uh, they asked me if I would move this extra thing. It was called a, I never heard of it before. Anybody ever heard of a yoga ball? Yeah, I never heard of it either. She said, can you move this yoga ball? Yeah, I guess I can, you know, I can move it. I tacked on something extra for the thing. Get on over there. This is a full-size sheet of plywood, eight feet tall, four feet wide, solid three-quarter inch piece of plywood. And um, I had to get it off the wall. And which was a, a bigger chore than I actually thought it was going to be. And then I had to get it down three flights of steps in the city, in a city row home house. So you know what the steps are like in there. And so uh, I'm already tired from taking the other things down. I'm pulling this thing down. I do not need words of encouragement. Steve, you worked really hard. You did a good job. I mean, if you can't get the last one, no, that's not, there's no one else here. This is it. I'm the only one. There has got to be a, a way. So I'm yelling at myself, you will get this board down there. You will get it down the steps. You will not crash it into the wall that is down there at the bottom of the step. You will, I'm, telling myself, I'm telling myself, you will do it. You will find a way. Don't you tell me that this is too heavy. You find a way, you get it done. That's how I have to talk to myself. That's encouraging. That's right, that's right. We can do this. We can get this done. And so we got everything down. We got it in the truck. I pull over to the other spot. I'm a little bit wiser now. 
And so I, I grabbed one of the guys and I said, can you help me get this thing back up? So I, they helped me get the wall back up. And he said, man, this thing is heavy. I said, yeah, I know. I really appreciate you giving me help. He says, well, I didn't have any choice. I said, well, yeah, you had choice. You didn't have to come out and help me. You guys weren't hired for this thing. He says, no, I couldn't say, say no to that million-dollar smile you got there. I said, oh, that's it. That's anyway, he helped me get it on up there. So we got it up to this place where it was supposed to be. And then I'm hauling the other stuff up there. And there's only been, and I don't know how many years I've been making bunk beds, 20, something like that. There's only been three times that I hit the end. And I said, I don't know if I can go on. And this was one of those times. I hit the end. I was getting the last ones up there. And the last things are the bunkie boards. And I'm carrying them up. And my arms are so heavy, are so tired. Everything about them, my hands hurt from gripping the stuff. That these things are heavy. I got to go up three flights into the new house to get to the top of the thing. I'm carrying it in there, and I set it down. I was about halfway up, and one of the guys passed me. He goes, taking a break? He says, yep, yep. No, he actually thought I stopped because I was letting him get by. I said, nope, I'm taking a break. Because I'm telling myself, right now my arms are telling me I cannot lift another thing. It's over. I can't do it anymore. That's my arms are telling me. My body is telling me. My legs are tired of hauling these things up. Everything in me aches. I am tired. Let's go, kid. You, I'm going to get hard on my... I don't get there soft. You've got to get this up. There is no one else here to... You've got to get it up there. You told him you get it done. Let's get it done. So we got it on up there, and then we're just assembling. That was, you know, a piece of cake. We got that on done. And then I had a... It took hours to try and work on the, the wall trying to get it up. But anyway, got it all done, got it finished. I got out to the truck. I'm thinking, I'm not sure yet if I can drive home. I mean, I was everything was was hurting, and I hadn't eaten all day. I just did, I didn't. I was supposed to bring some food along, eat it along. Didn't bring it. Forgot to bring it. I can get it done. And so, we're getting it all done. I get on home. I get done. My wife has dinner. Uh, she made she made some dinner, so I got to eat that. And uh, I told her I'm going to bed a little bit earlier. I woke up on Wednesday morning, everything sore. I was pooped. I was tired. And I have a run to do in the morning. I hate skipping a run. I hate skipping a run. I feel so poorly in the week if I miss a day. Because it's just like, I'm behind now, all that sort of stuff. But I said, you know what? If I run this morning, I will not have what I need to do for Wednesday night. I'm going to be tired. I'm not going to be able to put in everything I need to in the study. So I stayed home from the run. I didn't do that. I just got the thing done, got through the day. The next day, I'm still not right. Still not right from it. I did a half a run trying to drive some of the stuff out. The next day, I did a three-quarter run, and then I got myself uh, back by Saturday. We were fine. It was all, all good. But boy, the, it wore out, totally wore out everything in me. I don't need somebody to come along. Oh, Steve. Oh, you, you just did so, oh, you did so good. No, I don't need that. I need somebody to say, let's go. We got to get this thing done. That's how sometimes guys are wired. What got Moses to finally get going here is not, Moses, I'm going to be with you. Moses, I'm going to help you. Moses, I'm going to teach you how to speak. Moses, I'm going to do all these things. You know what finally got Moses going? Moses, I'm mad at you. Now look. I told you you're going to go. You are going to go. Now get out there and go. That's what got him going. Until then, he's not going. If God did that to Moses, don't you know that sometimes he is going to get down on you kind of hard, kind of stern, kind of, this is how it's going to be. You will do this. 
Sometimes people do that. If God can do it to Moses, if God has done it to others, and God could do it to you, don't you think that sometimes encouragement coming from you needs to be a little sterner? And those parents that are out there with the kids, oh, well, what are you feeling today? How does that make you feel? Oh, okay, if you don't feel like doing your homework right now, let's just wait until later when you feel like it. Well, if you don't feel like doing that, if you don't feel... No! What sometimes happens with the parent? It's, It's... yeah, you don't feel like it? <laughs> you don't feel like cutting the lawn? Guess what? You're not going to do it with a pair of scissors. No lawnmower for you. Right? That's what we tend to, tend to do. And there, we, we learn we had some benefit from the sternness that our parents would bring in. We're looking at a generation where there's no sternness. All encouragement has to be nice and fluffy and all nice and all kind words. No! If God shows you the example that sometimes you need to get in there and just tell yourself, come on, Paul did this with himself. I put my body under. He's encouraged himself in the walk of the Lord. I put my body under. Sometimes you've got to speak to your body and say, body, no, we're not doing that. This is how we're going. Thoughts, nope, we're not going that way. This is not what's going to happen. Now, how many people encourage this way? I'm going to give you a couple examples. This is how many people encourage. Many of the people that you know will encourage it this way. And maybe you have as well. They will encourage how you look. Oh, that looks so nice. Oh, I like your hair. Oh, those shoes are divine. Oh, and we, we encourage how we look. You know, oh, you look so fit. We encourage how we look. We feel like that's an encouraging thing. Notice that was missing in all the things that God said to Moses. Moses didn't say, man, Moses, you're looking all right. This wilderness has been all right for you. He didn't say anything about that. Many people will encourage speaking about what you did. Oh, you know, when you did that for me, oh, I really appreciate that. I really thank you for that. That was really so nice of you. And they, they encourage us for what we did. Now, I'm not saying you can't do these things. You can't speak these things. But if you want true encouragement that follows the thing of God, when does God talk about Moses, what he did? Moses, you have been such a phenomenal person out here in the wilderness taking care of all those uh, all that cattle, all that sheep, all the goats, and all the, all the things. Oh, man, I mean, you have just exceeded my expectations of what you have done out there. And you have just kept your attitude up so well. Oh, Moses, I'll tell you, he doesn't do that. Some people, they encourage others speaking about how you made me feel. Well, when you did this, I just felt so, oh, that just really encouraged me. I just felt so encouraged. I just felt so glad. I just felt so happy. We speak about these things. I'm not saying you can't do any of these things. I'm saying this is where we spend a lot of our encouraging time and we, don't, and we wonder why we're not getting the results. Does God speak to Moses about any of the ways he feels? Well, Moses, you know, when you did that thing in Egypt, I felt this way about it. But then when you came back over here and did it, I felt this way about it. He doesn't talk about how he feels about what Moses has done. Sometimes we feel like this is encouragement. 
you know, you'll get through this. That's encouragement. People are telling us about a rough time. Is, you know what? You'll get through this. We feel like that's encouragement. Does God say to, to Moses, you know what, Moses, you'll get through this? No, he doesn't say that. He doesn't speak to him words like that. Here's one more for you. I'm sure no one here has ever used this one. God will supply what you need. Right? As an encouragement. God will supply what you need. Does, does God say that? Well, you know what, Moses? Just go on out there. God will supply what you need. God does not do that. Now let's take a look at the pattern that God has and let's get a pattern here for ourselves. If, we're pat- if we pattern after God, let's take a look at the five things. Remember, what's our number? Five. So, we looked at five things that Moses needed encouragement on. We looked at five ways that people generally encourage. Now we're going to take a look at five things that we should do to follow the pattern of encouragement. First of all, Moses came and said, Who am I? Basically, I have no value. I have nothing that's, that's worthwhile. I hear you that you want me to do this call, but who am I? I have no value. Have you ever felt in a place when you've been discouraged, I have no value? I don't have value to the people that are around me. I don't have value to God. I don't have value to His purpose. I don't have value to His plan. This is where we can go in there and we can do what God says. Here's what the Word says about you. Here's what the Word says about you. Now, you may have had some people who have before, they have spoken to you, this is what the Word says about you, but it stops there. It cannot stop there. You've got to... This is what the Word says about you, and you need to see them that way. How many times do you have people in your life where you say what the Word says about them, but you see something different? You say the Word sees you as a ten, but you see them as a five. You see them as something less. I think you can get there, but right now this is what I see you, see you as. God's not seeing Moses as a five. God has seen Moses as a ten. Moses, you got what you need to get this thing done. Moses sees himself as a one. Who am I? I'm nobody. I can't really get this thing done. God not only sees him as a ten, he speaks to him as a ten. You've got to make sure that if you're going to give true encouragement, that you get yourself to see the person the way you are telling them to see them. Well, you should really see that God has done this for you. Do you see that God has done that for them? Do you see that God sees them that way? You better get yourself right, because how many people are in your life, you know they may say one thing about you, but they believe something different. They don't really see me that way. They think I'm useless. And they speak, they, you can see it in their eyes. If you are going to speak to somebody about that, you're going to speak to them and say, Help them with this no value part. You've got to see what the Word says about them, not just tell them to see themselves that way. I put this in your outline for you. Encouragement needs words that have substance, not empty ones. You need to have words that have substance. Something needs to back them up, and you need to back up those words yourself. You need to believe those words. If you speak words to your kids, but you don't really believe them, if you speak words to your kids, but you say, yeah, but you're just not there yet. You just, I don't know if you're ever going to get there. But you could be this, 
But I don't know that you ever will because you're such a lazy guy. There's no substance to those words. You've got to have words with substance. That's the first thing God does. He speaks words that have substance. Secondly, you probably have heard this, I'm overwhelmed. I am overwhelmed. One of the reasons that we get discouraged is because we feel like the situation we're facing is bigger than us. Anybody in a situation where you feel like it's bigger than you? Situation just as bigger than me. I just oh, feel so so small. I feel inadequate. I feel like I am overwhelmed by all that is going on here. And so you have people who come up to you and they say, "Oh, I'm here for you," and it ends there. You think, "Yeah, you're here for me." Uh huh. Okay. And you go on. You haven't received anything because you don't believe those words have any substance to them. You're overwhelmed. I'm here for you. No, you can't just say that. you got to be, I'm here for you. What can I do to help? What can I do to help? Encouragement, I put this in your outline for you. Encouragement needs words that take action. If you're going to encourage the people that are around you and be an encouragement to them, you got to speak words that take action. What can I do? How can I help? What can I jump in on? Not just say, oh, be filled, be clothed, be blessed. And go your way. James talks us, to us about that. If you have the good to be able to help them, you need to be out there and do it. I feel overwhelmed. Moses felt overwhelmed by the call. He felt inadequate for it. And he, God says, I will be with you. I'll be with you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to go out there with you. It's you and I together. I'm going to be there to help you. Sometimes we get discouraged because I don't have what I need. I feel like I need this and I don't have it. I feel like I need this skill. I feel like I need this particular thing and I just don't have it. Moses felt like he needed something that he didn't see himself as having. What does God say? When, when he has this, this thing, I feel like I need something. I feel like uh, people aren't going to receive that God sent me. I feel like I need something that's going to show them more. He says, what do you have? I have a rod. Throw it down. Throw it down. Use it. Most of the time, if you'll see these stories in the Word of God, you're going to find that God says, what do you have? The woman who had the great debt, what does the prophet say to her? What do you have in the house? I have a little bit of oil. What do you have? Stop looking at what you don't have that's how you're going to continue to feel inadequate. That's how you're going to continue to feel discouraged. That's how you're going to continue to feel like I can't get this done. Stop looking at what you don't have. Look at what you do. What do I have? Now, if you're going to encourage these people that are in this situation, you can't just say to them, well, look what you have. And God used what other people have. Go find what you have. And let God use it. And then walk away. You have not encouraged that person. You have discouraged them, if anything. We've got to follow God's example. In God's example, He didn't just say, use what you had. He taught them, He taught Moses how to use what He had. Taught them how to use it. Now this one, encouragement needs words that make the invisible seen. 
You have got to get to a place where you take what is invisible to the person. They can't see what they have. I'm so focused on what I don't have, I can't see what I do have. You've got to get those people to focus and see what they have and that what they have is valuable. That's how you encourage them. You're not going to encourage them by telling them all kinds of nice words and quoting nice scriptures at them. You're going to help them by saying, look, look at what you got. You got this thing over here. This is what you have. Can you see that? Well, yeah, I could see that, but I really didn't see that it was going to do anything for me. I didn't really see that it was going to help. God showed him how to use it. This is how you, this is what you have. This is how you use it. Throw it down. Turns into a serpent. God had his hand on there too, but he told him how to use it. There are people, it might even be you, you get discouraged because you don't know what you have. You don't have eyes to see it. And so someone can come alongside you and they can see what you have. Here's the next one. He said, I am not. I'm not who I want to be. I'm not who I need to be. I'm not useful. Encouragement needs words that make the invisible scene. The one before here, encouragement needs words that teach. There are going to be times that a person is discouraged and you need to sit down with the Word of God and not just quote verses to them. You need to teach them some things from the Word. You need to teach them. Say, look, let me show you some things from the Word. And you go to a passage and you begin to take the time and teach them. It's real easy to quote a verse of Scripture and take two minutes out of your day and quote that to them. Feel like I encourage them. It's a whole lot harder to take 45 minutes to sit down and teach them how to do something. Sometimes we need to sit down and we need to teach them. If you were teaching somebody in class, if you're doing homeschooling or if you were in a school situation and the child was there and they have a math problem, well, just read the thing and do it. That hasn't helped them. That didn't encourage them. But if you walked over and said, now look, let me show you how you do this. And you break it down for them and you show them this is, you do this, you do this, you do this. You see this part of the question here? You put this out this way. You see this part of the question here? You put this out over here and you go through and you, you don't just do the thing for them. You show them how you did it. You teach them how to do it. It takes a lot more time to do it that way. You'll get a little frustrated because their, their mind isn't putting it all together just yet. Wait a minute. I did, no, no, no. Remember what I said about this? Oh, yeah, do this, do this, then do this. You take the time to teach them. That's encouragement. That's encouragement. It's not just always about the nice words that you speak. God took time and he taught Moses some things. It's a long passage that he has there. He taught him some things. It takes up two chapters in the Bible because he spent some time to teach him. This is how you get this done. This is how you do this thing. So he taught them. Because a lot of times people feel like, I am not something. I am not something. People in your life that tell you you are something and can teach you that you are, can show you some things that you are. This is what you need to... You know, we watch the grandkids grow up and we see each one of them has a special... Each one of them has something that they do. I don't know if they're going to continue to go on with that or, or not, but, you know, we look at Chenzo... Vincenzo, he's the engineer right now. I mean, he just, I love talking, having conversations with him, engineering conversations. I'm not an engineer, but I, I do know a little bit more on the topic than he does yet at five. He'll probably get to a place where he knows more about it than I do. But right now, I got him beat. 
And so we begin to talk about some of the things that are involved with, uh, and I'll talk to him that uh, I won't talk about the all five-year-olds because he'll understand it. Uh, instead of just, you know, I, he was in a situation where um, I thought he was going to hurt his fingers, hurt his hands on, because of the cer- certain thing was going on with the door. So instead of uh, just hollering at him, uh, Chento, don't do that. That can pinch your hands. That can do this. I, I was very calm. I just wanted to say, hey, Chen, let me show you something. Now, you didn't, you didn't grab this in the wrong spot, so it didn't hurt you. But I wanted to show you if you do, do grab this in the wrong spot, it'll hurt you. Now, now, watch how this happens. And we open the door. You see how the space is there? Uh-huh. All right. Now, we close the door. You see how that space loses? Uh-huh. All right. Open the door. See it again? Yep. See, if you get your fingers in there, this is what will happen. Now, if you ever get your fingers caught in there, do this. Just push the door open. You see how you get that space back? Uh-huh. Now, he'll remember. I know it. He'll remember that. If he ever got his fingers caught on there again, he's going to remember because his mind works that way. I love talking to him about things in this, in this area. Lumi, we've all determined she's going to be drama something. <laughs> she's going to have a stage. She's going to be up there, and she's going to be projecting something. She, just, she loves to be projecting herself and, and, and all the things that she does. And you can, you can see that. You can see the, the skills that are there. Uh, Lissy, she is just, a, she's an evaluator. She will sit back and she will look at things and she just loves to come in and behind the scenes help. She wants to help whatever situations he's in. She wants to be a help. She wants to sit there and look at that and figure out how is it that I can get in there? What is it that I can do? How can I get this thing to, to, to go on? How can I get this thing to, to fix? This is one of the things you need to do with your kids. The more time that you spend with them, you've got to find out how does their mind work? What are the things that we can encourage? What is the thing that makes Max Max? What is the thing that makes him unique? What is the things that, that, uh, that grab hold? If I remember right, you like, you, uh, you like math or don't like math? You like math. I thought I remembered that you did it. We were, we were up in the room, we were talking about some things, and, and he understands some things on, on the math concept that maybe other kids his age won't, won't do. Well, that's something that you want to look at, you want to pursue. Why am I so good at Why do I understand this so well? How come I can, I can pull this in? And there's reasons for it. Uh, when I was going through school, I didn't, I didn't love math. I, didn't. I mean, I could tolerate it, but I didn't love math. I hated English. I mean with a passion. I hated it. I didn't want to show up there. I didn't want to do the homework. I couldn't wait till the bell rang. I got out of there. I didn't like English. English was terrible. But you give me history. I loved history. Finally find out I also like some things in science. Get me out of chemistry. Did not like chemistry. Couldn't stand chemistry. Couldn't wait to get out of chemistry. But you get me into some of the other sciences, I began to find out that I, I like those things. Why is it that the, our kids like certain things? You've got to see what their abilities are. And then you've got to get in. You've got to find a way to encourage those things. Don't make them into what you want them to be. Find out what God wants them to be, what God has skilled them with, and then bring that out. And that's what we're there. Brother, Brother Keith Moore, he would always say, parents that are telling their kids you can be anything that you want to be are doing their kids a disservice. Anybody ever heard him say that? Are doing your kids a disservice. Why? Because that's not the kind of expectation you want to put in them. You want to put the expectation you can be whatever God says you can be. Because what God says you can be, he's already programmed you for it. He's already given you all the things that you need. This is what he's made you to be. This is what he needs you to be. This is what he wants you to be. That's what you need to be. Here's the last one. I will not go. <laughs> there are people out there that are discouraged because they simply will not obey the word. 
They won't do what God told me to do. They won't stop being selfish. And when you find people like this, will you have the love for them? Follow the pattern that God did. Will you have the love for them to correct in a loving, not a condemning way? It's real easy to condemn, but will you love them and correct them? Will you speak to them? Will you say, what you're doing is wrong? And I will not speak blessings upon it because what you're doing is wrong. Will you love them that much? Are we really helping people if we encourage them to go in a direction that God has not sent them? That God has said, thou shalt not go this way? Are we, are we helping them? He says, I will not. What does God say? You will too. You will too. I'm telling you right now, you are going to Egypt. Pack your bags. Let's go. I've been nice all this time. <laughs> there comes a point when you are encouraging people that being nice is no longer helpful. And you need to get stern. And you need to get firm. You don't have to condemn them. But you need to say, this is not the way God has told you to go. This is not what God has told you to do. You spoke to me. You told me what God had told you to do. Now get on that and do it. And until you obey God, until you do it the way God said, your life isn't going to be working out. Now get over there and do it. That's how you encourage them. Have you ever gone to a weight room and have you ever had a trainer? It isn't just a matter of getting in the machines and lifting the weight and pushing the weight. No, you've got to make sure that you do it right because your body wants to cheat. You may not know that you can cheat in the weight room, but you can cheat in the weight room. And your body will know, he knows how to cheat. Knows how to cheat. My trainer, he would get there with me. He would look at me and he says, you're cheating. Quit it. You're getting other muscles involved in the lifting of this thing. We're not here to work on those muscles. We're here to work on these ones. Isolate them. Just do these. And when you isolate it, it's like, like oh man, I can hardly lift any of the weight. Right. But that's the muscle we want to work on. And they get on your case about it. God will sometimes get on your case about it. And sometimes we need to do that with the people that we are there too. But if you do it in a condemning, in a nasty, ugly way, you're not going to help them. But it can be encouraging to be firm. So the last one, encouragement needs words that teach. Make sure I gave that one to you. Here's the last one. Encouragement needs words that awaken. Encouragement needs words that awaken. There are times that in your course of encouraging the people that are around you, you're going to have to speak words that will awaken them. And you need to listen to God. God, what do I need to say? How do I need to say it? Because first off, if that person is not ready to receive from you, you can't speak anything. You have to cultivate that relationship to where they want to hear from you. They want to hear the words that you have to speak. And then when you have to come in there with words that awaken them, they will awaken. Just like Moses did. Moses woke and he went on the trip. And he did what God said to do. This is God's pattern here in this story. We're going to look at God's pattern in some other stories too and what he did. Because it's not always the same pattern. Because not, all, not everyone needs exactly the same encouragement. But you are called to be an encourager sign of a mature person 
is a person who knows how to encourage with substance, who knows how to encourage the way the person needs to hear it, who knows how to encourage to get them to move on with the job that God has given them with the task at hand. That's a mature person. An immature person just quotes Bible verses. Well, you know, the Bible says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And you ought to just believe that and go out there and do it. That's an immature person who does not understand the Word of God, has no words of substance. And you keep doing that to people, they're going to turn you off. They're going to say, you don't have any words that are worthwhile for me to listen to. You've got to make sure that your words have substance. Would you all stand with me? It's our first look at the area of encouragement. I hope it was helpful for you. Learn some things or some more things we're going to get here as, the, as our time goes on. Father, I thank you that when we have been down, you have encouraged us. Sometimes you have spoken words that teach us. Sometimes you've spoken words that point out the things that we have. Let us know that we are not without what we need. Sometimes you speak words that awaken us, that reassure us. But whatever you speak, it's words that we need. I thank you that you will help us to learn how to speak the words that are needed. Words that have no basis in selfishness. Words that completely look out for the good of the kingdom and the good of that person. As you develop us in the area of encouragement, oh, I thank you for the good things that will go on. I thank you for the places that you will take us. Because one of the things that is the hallmark, the pinnacle, the place we need to reach as mature people is to come to a place where we fulfill the call of life call of God in our life and help others fulfill the call of God in theirs. And I thank you that you help us do that. Give you the praise and the glory. With every head bowed. If you're here today and you say, yeah, I can use some work on the area of encouragement. I want to become a better encourager than I have been since up till now. And I want to learn more. Just raise your hand up. Father, you see the hands that are raised, we make this declaration before you. Thank you for the help that you give us. Shape us and make us into the encouragers you need. There's many people who can tear down, many people who can condemn, but not many who can build up for the purpose of having them go on. Thank you that you're raised us up to do that. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.